1: The silver chart is actually stronger than the gold chart. I mean, if you looked at where gold broke out at, at 1370, which was a, was a six, six year uh, basing six year channel, the silver chart in many respects is even stronger. And the reason why is because uh, silver has kind of been a, a kind of a neglected metal, if you will, it hasn't st- traded as strongly as gold. And so since it's been neglected, that chart has been creating a really, really strong base. And so now silver does not have very much resistance.
0: I'm Bill Powers, and this is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in again yet today. Well, we're going to spe- be speaking in today's episode with Don Deret of GoldStockData.com. Don is a seasoned, multi-decade mining investor. If you're not familiar with his work, go check out his website. And if you're newer to investing in the resource sector and want a thought-through Perspective on how to invest and profit from mining stocks. I encourage you to also check out Don's book, and you can find a link over at goldstockdata.com to get more information on Don's book, and that was one of the first books I read when I started investing and researching uh, the mining sector. With that being said, Don, welcome back onto the program, and let's start off with your thoughts on silver. In a couple podcasts with me over the last couple of years, you've said that 1850 was a big deal We had a quarterly close above 1850, and as we're speaking today, silver is closing in on 1950. What should we uh, gather from this action, price action in silver?
1: Hey, Bill. uh, Thanks for having me back. Um, So yeah, let's start with silver. So. The gold bull market uh, broke out back in December when we went over 1370. Um, and I always talked about 1370 before it got there, you know, on and on as well. So the two numbers I've been looking at is was 1370 gold, 1850 silver. And, and the reason why is if you look at the base, we basically were in a, in a gold channel for like six years and 1370 got us out of the channel. And that silver channel, we got out of the channel uh, last week. Last Friday was the first Friday close over 1850. So now we're out of the silver channel. So it took seven months for silver to catch up to gold. And I said once we got out of that gold channel that we, we probably should trend to a new high. And that's what's happened. We got out of that channel and it was interesting the way we got out of that channel is we never retested 1370, it just flew to 1400. And it looks like the same thing might happen with silver where we don't retest 1850, where we might just fly over $20 here, um, hopefully. So the same. The silver chart is actually stronger than the gold chart. I mean, if you looked at where gold broke out at, at 1370, which was a, a six-year six uh, basing, six-year channel, uh, the silver chart, in many respects, is even stronger. And the reason why is because uh, silver um, – it's kind of been a, a kind of a neglected metal, if you will. It hasn't st- traded as strongly as gold. And so since it's, it's been neglected, that chart has been creating a really, really strong base. And so now silver does not have very much resistance um, to go say, once it gets to 22, 23, there's probably nothing, and that's probably going to happen. And there's nothing really going to stop it to get to 27. 27 is really the first kind of pause, if you will, where we could basically, make, we maybe we take a few months to get through 27. But once you get through 27, there's really nothing above 27 to stop it from going to 49 and an all-time high. And the reason why is because we had it, it didn't take very long last time, back in 2011, when we went from 27 to 49. It, just, it shot up there and then it came back down. If you remember, we weren't in the 40s very long. So there's very, very little resistance. There's a little bit of resistance in the 30s, but not very much. But like I said, the silver chart is stronger than the gold chart. We we got the seven-month breakout in gold. If we get a seven-month breakout in silver, it's going to be looking really, really good.
0: Dan, so for me as an investor, I'm up a hundred fold on one position, I'm up 400 fold on another position. And in regards to silver equities, would you say then don't take profits and your initial initial capital back from that position until we see silver hit about 27?
1: Well, it depends on your philosophy on how you invest. Um, If you're in it for big gains, the most gains you can possibly get, for instance, that's how I invest, I'm after maximum return. I'm not a- after an annual return. I don't care about annual returns. I curve a maximum return. Um, in my book, I, in the very beginning, I think in the introduction, I say my goal is—you know—I look at—I'm looking at 500% returns when I invest in a company. <laughs> you know, big returns basically. So for me, I'm not about taking profits unless a certain scenario occurs. I'm talking about me. So other people, you know, they get 100% return. They might want to take re- take profits right then. Me again, again focusing on maximum returns. If I I, I don't even real at this point in time, the silver bull market, in my opinion, just began last week. So I would even think about taking a return, say at twenty dollars, twenty-one dollars, twenty-two dollars silver. Even if I have a hundred percent return on a stock, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait. So yeah, if you look at the technical charts, twenty-seven. If you do want, if you are somebody that does want to take some take a profit, 27 is probably going to be a good area. 23 might be a good area as well because these stocks, a lot of these stocks, especially some of these juniors, I mean, they're popping, you know, 100% returns already this year. Like you said, I think you mentioned a couple of 100% returns. So you might want to take a little bit off the table if that's your, you know, that's how you invest. Uh, me, I don't do it that way unless I'm way up and maybe I want to take my cost basis off. But right now, um, I'm looking at the the soonest I would even consider a profit would be 27. And then once you get in the 30s and then again, um, I could talk a little bit about my my exit strategy um, all the way up. You know, my exit strategy goes all the way to one hundred fifty dollars silver.
0: And you're very disciplined in that because you've bought silver stocks for a dollar, saw them go to thirty dollars. And because silver wasn't at where you think it's going to go, you held on to it, didn't you?
1: Right. I did take my cost basis off, but I held on to the stock. Um, And now it's trading around 10, so i got to wait a while to get back to where I was. But I'm confident I will. When I got into this, I thought in terms of gold and silver. So gold and silver is a very high-risk sector. I didn't go into this for annual returns. I went into this as a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now I was wrong in that we had to wait until 2020 because I started doing this in 2004 I thought it would be, you know, within 10 years, this once in a lifetime thing would happen. But it turned out that 2011 was kind of a a false uh, top, if you will. Now we had to wait nine years to get back again to to the true one. So for me, when I'm saying once in a lifetime return, I'm I was always that we were thinking in terms of gold going over over 2,000, hitting uh, potentially 2,500 was my target minimum target and, and um, silver minimum target of $100. So those are my targets. And then again, once in a lifetime uh, thing. So that's where I focus all my energy. My, I focus my energy on maximizing online profits when that situation occurs. So my exit strategy, since I mentioned in the last question, is to slowly um, get out of my silver stocks Um, say from $35 silver all the way to 150 silver. So every time silver goes up $10 to look at my portfolio and see if I have some big winners, maybe take something off the table. So that maybe I have half of it off the table at $100 silver. And um, I'm overweight in Mexico. I wanna get, by the time silver's at 80, I wanna have a big chunk off of of Mexico because I just, too much weight there because there are just so many silver producers and silver explorers in Mexico.
0: We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Arcana Corporation is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginias mine in Colorado has proven improbable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver, with an all-in sustaining production cost of only US $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully permitted, with infrastructure already in place, and the company has announced they plan to commence production in 2020. Achieving successful production usually results in a significant upgrade share price re-rating on the Lasan curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AUN in Toronto and AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. Would you be in the camp uh, right now, Don, uh, with those who say whether the economy goes up or down, gold's going up?
1: No, I'm not in that category. The reason why is because I believe that gold and the economy are kind of our opposites. That the only reason why gold would go to $2,500 is if we have economic problems. The only way silver is going to go to 100 plus is if we have economic problems. So in my newsletter, I always I focus on macroeconomics and I focus on the economy because I believe that if you understand the economy, the economy is the is you need to understand how to invest in mining stocks, but you also should understand economics to give you an understanding of your risk. So for me right now, risk is kind of off for gold stocks. Last month's newsletter, I said that I think that gold pretty much has its wind, uh, the price of gold uh, has uh, is the wind at its back right now, and I think that'll continue at least through the first quarter of next year. Um, because of this COVID virus, um, the COVID virus is basically causing, and these are things that I actually expected when I started getting into gold, it's causing a, basically the debt bubble to expand and it's causing a lot of pressure on the dollar. Uh, the U.S. economy is, has been the number one economy in the world, which is underpinned of the dollar and, and and it's created you know unbelievable opportunities for America and the, our economy because of that underpinning. But now MMT is, uh, is becoming dangerous to the dollar. And people. the one thing about MMT that people need to understand is this is an experiment. Prior to 1990, there was no such thing as MMT. We always thought that MMT was lunacy because it would create too much inflation. and Inflation is bad. But Japan got away with it. Um, they started their government started buying uh, their monetizing their debt. And they started expanding. Their Fed started basically paying for infrastructure bills and paying for basically stocks and all kinds of things and expanding their balance sheet um, in order to prevent basically an economic crisis. And then we said, well, Japan got away with it. We're going to do it, too. We started doing it after 9-11. And now we have MMT on steroids and nobody's blinking. Uh, but this creates risk, especially for the dollar. And I've been saying that the big, the reason why gold looks attractive and the reason why miners look attractive is because of the dollar and because of the debt that the dollar backs. Um, and so, like I said, right now, I think the next two years minimum, I'm crossing my fingers that we have a bull market in the precious metals for the next two years and that we see some of these numbers I'm expecting. Uh, Hopefully, we'll, we'll get close to $2,500 gold. If that happens, I think silver is going to get at least a 50.
0: 10 we've talked on this show uh, when it comes to mergers and acquisitions in the mining sector about how you don't like uh, when the big acquirer swallows up one of your smaller juniors because you do your calculation, your forecast. You're looking for at least a five bagger, maybe a 10 bagger or more. And then it's bought out at a 52-week low for a 30% premium. Well, right now, if there's mergers and acquisitions, it's not going to be at a 52-week low. But the premium maybe would be 60% on a a good acquisition. What would be an acceptable merger and acquisition that you would approve in this type of environment?
1: Merger of equals, I really like those. Mergers of equals is a fantastic idea because it just, it adds leverage. Um, both of those st- combined, um, both of them, let's say they're both going to have a 500% return. You, you put them together and you're probably going to get better than a 500%. So I love mergers of, of of equals, um, and then I like mergers of close to equals. So if a company is maybe, you know, 60, if it's a 60-40 split, I'm okay with that. But once you go above, say, 60-40, then whoever is on the short end of the deal is going to uh, not going to have the kind of the returns that they were expect. This is kind of kind of one of my pet peeves, but let's let's go ahead and talk about it. So let's say that you have a a development story, and your development story. And me, I focus on the long term. I, I value companies based on future the future gold price and future cash flow. Comparing that to the current market cap, and that's where I get these big returns. That's where I look for this 500 500 percent return. And it's all based on future cash flow because companies are valued usually at a minimum of five times future cash flow. And they can be valued all the way up to 30 times free cash flow. So you're looking at that range, five to 30. And if we have a mania, uh, I think just about every quality company is going to be valued at least at 10 times free cash flow. And most of these acquisitions are made not at future free cash flow, they're made uh, usually, a gold in the ground somewhere between twenty dollars an ounce in the ground for future reserves up to fifty dollars an ounce in the ground. That's how they value these these takeovers, and they're generally based on the current price of the dollar. So, if you have say a 70-30, thirty, let's say a company that only is worth thirty percent or less, and it's going to be um, you know it has a ten bagger potential, you're giving up all that upside when when that merger occurs. So it's painful. And the worst, the worst takeover by far is when you have a company uh, such as um, a company that's private or a company that doesn't trade in the US and they do a cash takeover. Uh, late, recently there's been three takeovers by Chinese companies. You had Continental Gold taken over in a private deal, cash deal by a Chinese company. Then you had TMAC Resources, and it, that one hasn't closed yet. And then you had Guyana Goldfields. I own, had owned all three of those and they're all cash takeovers. And they're, for me, they were all potential five-baggers, and I ended up getting, you know, 40% premium.
0: A, a stock you own, a producer, is Kirkland Lake Gold, and they've been spending hundreds of millions of dollars on share repurchases this year. You think that's a wise decision, or how else should they be deploying this cash that they have now?
1: Now, one thing about cash is I always want a company to use their cash to grow their company. And... Uh, So I don't really like dividends. I don't like companies that are dividend-focused because I'm looking at future cash flow. And a lot of times, those dividends, depending on how they spend them, and again, it depends on how much cash they have. As long as they have enough cash to grow their company, then that's okay. You know, they're spending a little chunk of dividends. It's not really hurting their growth, per se. But But if a company spends too much of its cash on buybacks or dividends, and then they're not spending money on growth, such as acquisitions. I think acquisitions are very important because an acquisition is what creates your pipeline. So if if Kirkland Lake, and Kirkland Lake is kind of trapped right now, I'll talk about that, what I mean by trapped in a minute. Um, if Kirkland Lake, they have unbelievable cash flow, so it makes sense for them to 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 buy back shares, and it makes sense for them to do dividends because they're still going to have a boatload of cash that's available to do acquisitions. So I think as long as you keep on your balance sheet, you know, say, it depends on the size of the company, of course. Let's say if you're mid-tier, as long as you keep a hundred million dollars of cash and then this is a zero debt again and if you're a major like kirkland lake if you keep at least 250 million of cash because 250 million is going to allow you to do a deal and no debt and that's fine so kirkland lake's got like you know over 500 million dollars in cash i forget exactly how much they have maybe it's 400 million so they have enough where they can do dividends and they can do buybacks both and they still have enough cash to grow their company when if they see an opportunity which is fine. But I want companies to grow. I want companies to acquire properties, acquire other companies. I want them to grow. And if you have a really good balance sheet, it gives you the opportunity to grow. And if you're just spending all your money um, through dividends and buybacks and you're not growing your company, I don't like that. I got to talk about Kirkland Lake being trapped. So Kirkland Lake, they purchased Detour. Before they purchased Detour, man, nah, I don't think "trapped" is not the right word. Let me let me flesh this out a little bit. Before they acquired Detour, their um, all-in cost was about four hundred dollars. Three, three to four hundred dollars was their all-in cost. They had unbelievable margins um, before they purchased Detour. Now they, when they, after they purchased Detour this year, their all-in has jumped two to three hundred dollars, and the market is hurt them. So right now, their trading, you know, their market cap is not, not their market cap, Their share price has not increased um, this year very much uh, because of that Detour acquisition. In other words, they got the marketplace basically hurt. Um, penalize them for acquiring a company that hurt that basically decreased their all-in cost. So when I said what I meant by trapped is is that shareholders now are expecting a, any acquisition that they make needs to be highly accretive. If it isn't highly accretive, they're going to get penalized again. So they're somewhat trapped in that they can only acquire a really good project. They can't hire a marginal project or the market's going to kill them. Not kill them, but it's going to penalize them. That's what I meant by trap.
0: So the market rewards revenue and cash per share rather than net asset value.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. it It rewards free cash flow, all in costs. Free cash flow is just that's what the market really wants to see uh, from a producer. Um, so the the producer it wants to see your, basically a combination of your balance sheet. So how much debt you have, how much debt you owe. So if you have a clean debt, if you have a clean balance sheet, the market's going to reward you for that. It's going to reward you for free cash flow, and it's going to reward you for hitting your numbers, what your targets are. So if you say, okay, my all-in cost is going to be, you know, 1,200, and you hit your, your 1,200 or less, then you're fine. You go above it, you're going to get penalized. So you got to hit your targets, and then the market has expectations. Um, as well, but and then the another thing is is future your future valuation it always also plays in. So if you have good tr- good drill results like West Dome, West Dome is you know it, they seem to be overvalued, but they're getting valuations based on their potential cash flow, and I like it. they're getting rewarded for that. And, and the reason why they're getting rewarded is because of the high grade. The market is currently not re- really rewarding. And I wanted to talk about this as well, so I'm going to segue into this. So Spanish Mountain, I wrote an article. On Seeking Alpha, that your listeners can go and read, and it's only had two comments, which is very unusual. And it's a five million ounce open pit in a great location in Canada, um, 0.45 grade, and it's economic. uh, I shouldn't guess all the way up to. I guess you guys can look at do your own due diligence on the economics. Um, But I think it's economic at $1,500 gold or higher. Um, They can finance it, say, at $1,500 or higher. But what I like about it is they're going to find another 1 to 2 million ounces of gold. So it's a 5 million ounce, probably going to grow to 6 or 7, and it's valued at $40 million. So that tells me that... The market is really own, isn't really interested yet in low-grade big uh, projects, but I think they will at a certain point. And so we're this is still early innings of this goal. We're not in a mania phase yet. Or there's no way Spanish Mountain would be valued at forty million dollars. So we're not in a mania yet. Uh, I think it's coming, um, but I wanted to I mentioned that one.
0: So you wouldn't mind adding a you know these large bulk tonnage, gold deposits to
1: your portfolio right now? Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea, but I think you need to stay away from, again, my opinion, stay away from these big, big uh, open pits, low grade that are dependent on copper. Because I personally don't think that we're going to build any copper mines in the next years because I think we're in a two-year hole right now for the economy, both the US economy and the global economy, we're basically in a two-year holding pattern. So nobody's even gonna be developing any of these huge copper mines for a while, and then once they start to think about building them, everybody's gonna be building them. So that's gonna slow the bankers down, they're going, wait a minute here, everybody's building copper mines, I'm not gonna finance these big ones. So. I think you should focus on. It's okay to focus on low grade, but you need to look at the economics. Like Spanish Mountain is not dependent on copper. I think it's economic at fifteen hundred. So I would go down to you know economics of you know maybe you go as high as sixteen hundred. Um, and in silver, some of these silver plays, I would go all the way up to twenty five dollars silver if it's economic at twenty five dollars silver and it's and that's at the silver it depends on how much the offsets are and lead and zinc of course. But it, um, it, I, I like those as well. I, I think that the large, uh, you, you call it bulk tonnage, I, I would call it open pit. The large, uh, low-grade open pit um, silver projects, to me, are very attractive right now. You know, I've been in Discovery Metals and silver tiger just popped and golden tag those three i've always liked those because there are not very many large open pit low grade silver projects out there and once you get to $25 silver i think they're going to be extremely attractive
0: one company i work with uh, silver one resources has i believe it's 40 million ounces of silver just sitting on some old heaps but like you said it needs higher silver prices for bringing that into production to make sense economically.
1: Glad you brought that one in. Yeah, silver one's another one on my list uh, for these large open pit. You know, not economic today, economic tomorrow. Um, it's not a lot of them. Everybody should kind of have their eye on those as far as you know. People want to make a hundred percent return in a single year you know, silver goes to $30, all these stocks that we've been talking about should double just based on silver in the ground alone.
0: Don, before you go, uh, could you share with us any feedback you're getting from your subscribers? How's your subscription service been doing as gold and silver are increasing in price? And what type of feedback are you getting?
1: Well, thanks for mentioning that. Uh, first feedback I'm getting is people are really uh, enjoying the website and really like it. Uh, you know, they didn't know it really existed. And the thing is fantastic about... Um, uh, the G- GSD uh, website is the database. Um, you know, once you're a member, it's just really nice to be able to – somebody – Somebody, you hear a stock, you just go into GSD and just search for the stock and instantly get a whole bunch of data about it, it's, it's, which is, you know, really, really nice to have. Especially, you know, you hear a lead, for instance, we talked about, mentioned a bunch of stocks today. Any of those stocks, just go and, you know, go and look it up. Which is fantastic, and then it has links to you know the company's website. You do additional due diligence, and then you can track it. Um, so uh, people, I'm, the website's definitely doing really well. Uh, a lot of growth. Uh, the um, the forum is just a fantastic resource. I hate to be plugging <laughs> plugging the plugging the st- plugging the website so much, but I just wanted to let people know about it. The uh, the forums, um, you know, people that are in there are really sharing a lot of information, learning a lot. Um, it's uh, turned out to be very rewarding.
0: And it's underpriced. And I've told this to Don, it's only $149 per year. So if you're investing any amount of money in the resource sector, uh, this would be a good $149 investment.
1: The reason why I keep it undervalued, the 149 is so I don't get any complaints about the data being up to date, if you will. You know, I I do all the analysis myself. There's 800 stocks in there, so it's impossible to keep the data always up to date. So it's like, hey, you're getting a lot of value for 149. So don't be complaining about the data not being all the, all the up to date. So I try to I try to give it added value, and you're right. I think 149, you're getting you're getting a lot of bang for the buck.
0: Yep, and the website again is goldstockdata.com, and Don is also on Twitter. If you want to follow him, I'll put a link in the show notes so that you could get his day-to-day, week-to-week. Th- week-to-week thoughts on the mining sector as he shares that via Twitter, and he's also prominent writing articles on Seeking Alpha, as he referenced earlier in this conversation. Well, that'll be it for today, Don, and I look forward to touching you, touching base with you about the mining sector in about a month.
1: All right. Very good, Bill. Thank you.